Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. This episode is brought to you by Chirpy Bird, Inc. CMS's Merit-Based Incentive Payment System, or MIPS, is super complex. And if clinicians ignore the program or perform poorly in it, it can result in a hit to their revenue and reputation. Chirpy Bird is proud to say that more than 95% of its clients are exceptional performers in MIPS, meaning they've maximized the score that directly translates into their Medicare reimbursement rate. Chirpy Bird offers their audit-proof services to practices of all sizes through an affordable monthly subscription that includes unlimited access to a regulatory expert who guides them in knowing what data to track, how to create workflows that make capturing that data easier, and ensures that they submit it all to CMS on time and performing at its best. Contact Chirpy Bird today or learn more at chirpybirdinc.com. That's chirpybirdinc.com. Hello, and welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. My name is Joy Rios, and today I'm talking with Jody Newhauser, the co-founder of Ovaterra. Overterra is the first intelligent fertility platform for men and women that matches them to the products and services they need as part of their trying to conceive journey. She's also the founder at Renew Travel, where she's taking 20 female founders to Cape Town, Africa to freeze their eggs at a third of the cost of clinics in the U.S. She's super ambitious and making an impact in women's health around the world. I really loved hearing about it, and I think you will too. So let's get started. Jody, thank you for joining me today. I am really excited for this opportunity to get to know you better and get to know what you know, how you spend your time with your organization and like your place in the healthcare IT ecosystem. I liken healthcare as a super complicated place, like a three thousand piece puzzle or a ten thousand piece puzzle, and each one of us kind of holds one puzzle piece. And part of what we're trying to do here at the podcast is really identify like, okay, how can we learn from each other? How can we connect these dots and start to see a big picture? So hopefully we can leverage and get farther faster in the whole case of healthcare. How can we make it better for more people? So I would love it if you could take a moment to introduce yourself and, you know, what you would consider your piece of that health IT puzzle. Yeah, absolutely. So Joy, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have a conversation with another powerful woman in 
in this space who's just working really hard to amplify female voices. The more we are heard and the more we are out there, I think the more power we can continue to bring to, to everyone, ourselves and to patients. So really excited about it. In terms of where I see myself in the the healthcare ecosystem, so I think in, in a couple of different ways, I build startups in the women's health space. I don't build just one or just a couple. I'm a problem solver and see opportunities mostly in the reproductive health space and then work tirelessly to create valuable and profitable companies around all of those problems. So solving a couple of them right now and working on a couple of them that I'm very passionate about. But like you and and like you just described the ecosystem, one of my passions is taking siloed data and bringing it together in a, a way that can be interpreted and actually used on a personalized level. So that's where a couple of the companies that I'm working on are solving things in that space, aggregating data or products or products and data in order to be able to be more useful in a simple way to to consumers and to patients. So can you share with us some of the problems that you're solving right now? The ones that you're the most passionate about? Absolutely. So I'm um, working, I'm a co-founder of a company called Ovaterra. Ovaterra is a one-stop shop for content and commerce for those going through the trying to conceive journey. When I looked across the space, I've done a lot of work in reproductive health. And as women, when we get to a point where we're trying to conceive, we know at about the three-month mark, women start to, that's where shame starts to kick in. And we start to think, you know, where, what's wrong with me? Why is this not working? What's wrong with my body? Um, And there's a whole range of emotions that we know that we go through. And right now there really really isn't one place for people to go. So the natural first stop is Google and there's a ton of products and services and information and content and it's just overwhelming and the process is overwhelming in general. And same thing with the data that's there. So Ovaterra is we're, we're essentially aggregating both content and the product side. And then we've created a tech platform that will navigate you through and match you to the products and services and content that you need based on where you are in your journey. So we, we're building a company for women to try to get pregnant naturally, to provide more access to fertility and reproductive care and content, hopefully, you know, so before they get to the need for a fertility clinic. And but then also sending people there quickly. If, if that's what their physiology requires. That's fantastic. I mean, I imagine with Google, the results depend on your location, your what your search history has been. And it's probably, it's like, it's not a cookie cutter by any means. So I'm not that Ovaterra would be, but I'm sure that it's much more focused and filtered specific to the person who's searching for answers. Yeah, exactly. So we know that just on Google Shopping alone, there's 147,000 products that show up when you type in the word fertility. And so literally just where do you start? And those are every, you know, there's everything on there from a fertility tea to a weird oil that someone's concocted up that, you know, helped them with their fertility. And so we're really bringing the science and the people together in a way that changes lives and helping people understand what is scientifically backed, what is research backed, what has, you know, research behind it and what may be something that that could potentially be a waste of money for them. So there's the, the curation piece of it. And then there's also the discovery piece of it. So there's a lot that women don't know about their bodies and about their reproductive health. And, you know, we know that about 60% of women fail a quiz on their own fertility. If you just ask them kind of how their body works (laughs) at a very basic reproductive level, 
And so when you get to this point where you start having trouble, you know, I've talked to CEOs of major companies who've said, I'm a JD MBA and I didn't know this. And I didn't know, you know, I didn't know this was happening about my body. So how do we provide a discovery platform for women to, to not only understand what's happening with their body at a scientific level, but, but also things they should be thinking about trying. So we know that there's a lot of lifestyle factors and things you can change, for example, in your diet in your home that may uh, help you or support you in your reproductive goals. And so we're, we're surfacing those as well for women too. That is so powerful. I mean, I'm sure like, like many women have just like nowhere to go or trying to figure out, like you said, like what's the right answer? You've got 147,000 choices. <laughs> Where do I go from here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that, that is, this doesn't even bring into account, you know, your partner, depending on how you're building your family, whether you're a single mom by choice or LGBT or lots of different ways to build a family these days, but we're a very inclusive brand. So we, we don't just look at what women need, but we also look at what are the products and services that might also support sperm health, for example, and the other side of the equation as well. That's great. Okay, so that's one of the businesses that you're working on. What is another one? (laughs) So then the second one is actually, it's called Renew Fertility Travel. And this is an opportunity for women to go actually to South Africa to freeze their eggs. And this came out of my own personal journey. I was living in New York for 15 years and hadn't met anybody and was working on a number of businesses. And and when you're a startup founder, all your money and time and effort goes into your business, not necessarily into yourself. And I decided to, my sister is married to a South African. So I was going there for the holidays and just decided to look into how much it would cost. And it's a third of the cost to do it in South Africa versus in the US. So I actually went to South Africa, froze my eggs, ended up meeting, ironically now, my now husband on that trip on Bumble. (laughs) Was he South African uh, or is he South African? Yeah, he is South African. And our first date was the night of our of my trigger shot. So it's a very intimately woven into my you know fertility and entrepreneurship journey. And then I, I came, I had a great experience and I came back and I was telling a number of friends and other female founders of businesses about it. And they all asked, how can I do this? So we decided to put together, basically productize it and put it together in a in a business. And we're actually, the pandemic put a bit, a hold on obviously on all the travel. So in March of 2022, we're actually taking our first group of 20 women, female, all female founders uh, to South Africa to freeze their eggs, to meet each other, to be supported by each other and to kind of go through this experience together rather than doing it alone. So, I love it. I love it. Yeah. I, I So I moved to Mexico just before the pandemic and I've been really like thinking about different ways that to have events and invite more people over here and just sort of have like, honestly, I think of it as like adult slumber parties. Like I feel like I really missed that from our childhood. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. But but in the same way that I'm just like, oh, can how can we support each other with our lifelong goals? Like, oh, do you have a business plan that we can all work on together for a week or something along those lines? And I just like, I love thinking about that. And I love the fact that you've actually taken that idea concept and like are making it happen. How do you like, do you know these 20 women? How did you, how did they apply? How did you get to that level? Yeah, we're working on that right now, putting together the, the the group. We had a couple of information sessions and have a couple more coming up. And it's really just through my network. I think one of the things I love about being an entrepreneur in the healthcare space, and especially a female entrepreneur in the healthcare space, is it feels it's the only space in which I've spent my career or I've had in my career where it literally feels like rising tides lift all boats. Totally. Every single every single female founder who is working on something amazing, even if there's a competitive overlap somehow 
now is willing to talk, willing to share, willing to pay it forward, willing to help. And I think that's, we have a, a bright light ahead of us in women's health, just judging by the, the female entrepreneurs that are building some amazing companies to solve some really complex problems in our space. So really just reaching out to my network there. I love it. And I also like the idea of co-opetition. Have you heard of that? before. Mm-hmm, yeah. Oh, yeah. I yep. love that where you're just like, Hey, listen, we're clearly interested in the same things. You're probably doing a similar level of research or, you know, reconnaissance, whatever. Like we ha- we're interested in the same thing. How can we make each other better instead of how can we like, I don't know, how can I do better than you and push you down sort of a thing? Like we do rise by helping each other up. And it, like, it's that nice kind of competition that is like, oh, you've gotten to this level. That's going to help me get to the next level, which might help you get to even farther and hopefully just spread that. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's a very key concept that is prevalent, I would say, in the women's health startup space right now in in the ability to really help each other. We all rise. And I think what we all have done you know, as we've been building our pitch decks, we've realized just how big the opportunity is and that we need more than one company in this space in order to generate awareness in the broader investment community, for example. We need more than, you know, more than a couple of exits in fertility and in menopause and in menstrual care and menstrual education. And again, in order to keep attracting that later stage downstream investment. And so it's actually better for us to have a couple of people working on the same problem. And we can all get there faster if we share resources and information versus us all needing to do it all at the all individually. And that's what I really like about what we're building with Ovaterra is we're actually aggregating a lot of these resources and products and services that female entrepreneurs are building in this space and not only raising awareness for them, but actually helping them acquire customers. And you know, if we can pay to acquire a customer onto the Ovaterra platform and then send them in six different directions based on six different products or services that they need, then it's helping the entire ecosystem because it's lowering that cost of acquisition and kind of spreading that across the broader a group of, of companies. Yeah, totally. So can I ask you, how did you get into this work? Like, did you know, is this, this isn't like, I'm sure there's not a linear path that you're just like, oh, I'm going to do the major, like, what was your major? How did, how did you get into what you do? Yeah, no, I mean, I think I'll start at the beginning. I was born on a farm in Virginia. Um, very passionate about, I was a varsity athlete in college. So always very passionate about health and healthcare. I advised a number of healthcare startups while I was cutting my teeth in the corporate world. So it's been some time at Omnicom and Condé Nast and WPP, just really diving deep on how to reach a consumer and get to, to understand you know, where consumers are, what drives consumer behavior, and then made a pivot to starting to build some technology in the luxury hotel space. But the luxury hotel was actually in education. And it was in how do you educate luxury hotel employees on service delivery? And how do you help them improve their own service delivery? And so um, breaking down content, putting it in very simple you know, formats and video, audio, text, you, you name it. And then just my own journey. I mean, I knew that I wanted to pivot into women's health at some point. And then I, I just used kind of, I would say the last four or five years of my my own personal journey. I was training for an Ironman. So I had a, a coach and I had a nutritionist and I had a functional medicine doctor and you know, all kind of helping me be in the best shape possible for, for the Ironman. But then I realized that nobody was looking across the board at the data. Like there were no, there were just all these silos and no one was able to interpret, you know, my nutritionist didn't know how to read my genetic test and my you know, functional medicine doctor didn't really know how to integrate my training from the Ironman. 
And so that was really the, the kind of start of that. And then that was the start of my passion for interpretation and how do we make all this data work together in a way that's actually usable. And then separately, my, my passion for access really came from my farm background. You know, I was living in New York City and my whole family is from family farms in South Dakota and Arkansas. And it really made me angry. You talked about you know, anger kind of fueled your um, mm-hmm. starting the podcast. And it really made me angry that be- only because I lived in New York and had a decent paying job and had you know could afford access to a functional medicine doctor and a couple of other specialists that... I was able to have a different care experience than my cousin who lives on a farm, you know, 60 miles from the closest place to buy milk in South Dakota, who has the same dream of having a family. And so how do we take this access and how do we take this data and this education and break it down and in a way that democratizes access to it for more people? I love it. I love that you take your experience and turn it into action. And also, I'm very impressed on the Ironman. Which one was it? <laughs> um, I did Ironman Maryland. I think in, it was twenty. It was either 2016 or 2017. But it was the the one where the it was a hurricane and the swim got canceled and it was a big disaster. But it was a, an amazing experience and and certainly something I would recommend to anyone who's thinking about potentially really challenging themselves in that way. Super. Yeah. I mean, I spent a lot of time in San Diego. It's like the Ironman mm. training capital of the world or whatever. Like everybody's swimming, biking, running all over the place. It's great. Yeah. And it's nice just to see everybody out and about and like know people that they're just like, oh yeah, like my cousin. He's like, I'm on my third Ironman now. I'm like, no biggie. And <laughs> just like, it's such a huge deal. Like, especially to get into the mental place that this is something that I can do and then having done it, and then I feel like it kind of opens up other doors for you, whether or not it's in your personal health journey or even your professional journey that you get to start to actualize. Like, no, I can do hard things. I- exactly. And that's that's exactly what I would say, taking away I mean, one of the biggest lessons from the Ironman is there's really, there's nothing now or very few things now that I look at as like, oh, that's going to be really hard. I'm like, it's, I know I can do it. There's a, there's a trust and a resilience I think that comes with going through the both the Ironman training and then the actual race. And I think the the training is actually a, a great analogy for for startups because it really is just about one foot in front of the other. You know, you can't you, you have a vision of the finish line, but you know that the moment in which I just finished a hundred and twelve mile bike and I knew I still had to run a marathon, I remember like particularly thinking to myself like as I came out of the shoot to start the marathon, I'm like, okay. Like new chapter, one step in front of the other, one mile at a time. Like I just, you know, I'm not going to, I, I want to get to the finish line and I know that I'm going to get to the finish line, but I can't will myself there. I have to actually do the work in between yep. to get there. So it's a, a great, it feels like that sometimes when you're running a startup. So, Well, I, I can totally relate. The closest thing I can, that I have to come to it is I did ride my bike twice from San Francisco to Los Angeles. As part of the That's amazing. Yeah. And yeah. it's 545 miles. It's not in a day, thankfully. It's over the course of seven days. But yeah. like the shortest day is a 60 mile ride. The longest day is like 110. And like by day, you know, every day is a minimum of 60 miles. So by like day three, day four, 
you're really like hitting a wall. And, you know, like not only is your body just sort of chapped and sore and tired, but you really have these like mental challenges of like, am I going to be able to complete this? And if anybody else tells me that it's all downhill from here, I am going to like punch them, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. But I think in that situation, you probably had had wind, you probably had rain at some point, maybe, you know, you have all these things that you don't really anticipate. And I think the more experiences we can have, especially as women in business, going through things like that, the more we realize that it's not going to, the strong, the more we realize how solid we are, it's not yeah. going to knock us off. It's not going to knock us, knock us off course. That was definitely an experience for me. The first one I did was in 2008 and it was definitely like probably one of the things I'm the most proud of and built up that resiliency of feeling like if I can do this, I could literally do anything. And yeah. Having that, like the mental challenge of, okay, well, I'm not going to think about the finish line. I'm just going to think about the next one. Am I like, we would break it up into four rest stops and I'm halfway to the halfway point or I'm halfway to halfway to the halfway point. <laughs> and like really yeah. just, like focusing on like the next thing and teaches you how to be present, how to really actually like enjoy the moment that you are in and not try to be living in advance as well as the pace. I re- For me, I was like, I really like the pace of being being able to experience the California, the state of California at like the pace of a bike, you know, like yeah. that's not very common that you're like, Oh, I'm paying attention to, you know, the, the wind or the blades of grass that are like blowing or the horizon or whatever bird is right there. And you're just like, Oh, this is like such a special thing. And no regrets. Yeah. That's one of the no. hardest things I've ever done. And I would, I would do it again. I was like, no regrets about it at all. Well, I definitely would highly, highly recommend it. Anyone you know, putting something like that in front of them. I think the other lesson for me, which came out of the Iron Man, is is that it's about being uncomfortable and pushing. You know, pushing through. The growth comes in where you are uncomfortable. And I, I run a number of marathons as well. And I always, regardless of whatever shape I'm in, I always, you know, I remember those. There's always three 18 mile runs that you have to do as a part of your training run or your part of your training. And, you know, inevitably I get to mile like 15 and I'm still feeling good. I'm like, this is great. And then there's this, this, and it happens in the race too, where there's just this moment where it just switches and you're like, oh my God, this is really hard. And I want to stop and I don't want to do this anymore. My body's shutting down and why. And I, you know, I particularly remember these Sunday afternoons where I'd be training for the Ironman. I'd be running in Central Park and, you know, it's like, okay, I've already run 16. I've got two more to go. And I knew exactly the loop that I had to do to get the two, the two miles in. And, you know, I had to run by the exit to go to my house. It's such a park. And it's just, it's so easy to just turn right and go and go home, you know, and you've already run 16 miles. That's, that's a huge, you know, it's a great experience, but it's, I always reminded myself in, in that decision point of turning right or continuing to go in the last two miles is like the two miles is where, the growth comes mm-hmm. like that's where actually the push comes. And that's actually where the training comes. You just other, if I, if I give up now, I've basically just run 16 miles to lose the lesson. And cause you have to run the 16 miles to get you to that point to then be able to get the growth. So I think that for me, that was a huge experience that I've now transitioned over into business and just saying, okay, this is, I'm going to do all this work to push through the comfortable, to get to the uncomfortable 
And then actually the uncomfortable is where, where the coolest part of the experience right. is. Going. And I think that that's such a great mind trick. If you, once you like really internalize that and realize that once you are uncomfortable, that to be grateful for that place, that like how fortunate are you to be in that position that you can experience this growth? Because otherwise, to your point, you wouldn't have gotten there. You're either, com- you're either comfortable or growing, but not both. Right. Yeah, exactly. I'm a big, <laughs> big fan of that. And I, my husband reminds me of that of all time, all time. He's an executive coach, an executive coach. And so I, I live with a coach, which is great and not great sometimes, <laughs> but he, yeah, he reminds me, you know, all the time, like, what can we be grateful for in this lesson? You know, why has this been put in front of us and, and what is, what are we learning from it? And it's a startup is new lessons every single day. Right. So. I love it. So, okay. I've been asking everybody and I love the answers, but what do you think 10 year old Jody would think about what you do for a living? I love that question. That's great. <laughs> so 10 year old Jody would, I think she would be excited about what I'm doing. I think she would probably not be surprised. So there's a a funny story when I was 10 years old, I don't know if I was eight or 10, but somewhere around that time in my life, I'm an educator at heart and I come from a family of entrepreneurs and teachers. And so when I was growing up, I didn't play Barbie or other kind of more traditional kids games. I actually played school and I have a little sister who's five years younger than me. And I, there, we had this little antique desk and literally I would print out work math worksheets on our dot matrix printer and make her do these math worksheets. And one day we were playing outside and I needed a chalkboard to play school. And I picked up a rock and I actually used my uncle's truck as the side of my uncle's truck as the chalkboard. So I think 10 year old Jody would not be surprised that I have now landed in building companies that at their core are really about educating in a simple way, patients and and consumers. And perhaps being a little bit disruptive. Yeah, probably, <laughs> probably being exactly like being being a little bit disruptive, but but also bringing people together. I think I I also was a very much a I was a connect, I've been a connector my whole life. So I think I you know I'm a, I'm a learner. I'm a connector. Kind of an includer is another descriptor that I use sometimes. And so I wouldn't just play school with my sister. We would also have all the stuffed animals and all of like, we would have like a whole class that we, <laughs> that I was teaching and then even though my sister was the only, the only real student Love in it. the space. I'm so, picturing yeah. E.T. in the back, like hidden uh, in there. A hundred, yeah, a hundred percent. We had the Cabbage Patch Kids. We had, yeah. you know, the, uh, what are those little like stuffed oh, bears? The Care Bears. Mm. Care Bears. Yeah, yeah. We had, we had the whole class that was there, but my, my sister was the only one doing the actual math sheet. That's so, so fun. I love my yeah. love my sister. Is she older or young? She's younger. If you said five years younger. Younger. Yeah. Yeah. So she's she's younger. She got all the athletic talent in the family. Um, she played professional golf and that's how she she met her wife on the professional golf tour, the LPGA tour. And her wife is South African. So that's the initial tie to South Africa. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Well, I like how you guys, oh, I, I wouldn't say that she only got the athletic gene. I mean, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> she got the, let's put it this way. She got the hand-eye coordination and I got the endurance. Okay. So fair. Actually, if you put us together, then we would be a really dangerous athlete. <laughs> don't, ask, awesome. don't ask me to hit a ball and don't ask her to run more than a mile. So it that's works fair. out well. Yeah. Well, what advice would you have for either 22-year-old Jody or somebody else who is entering their career? Is there anything that like sitting where you sit now, having learned all so many lessons, like what would you share with your younger self? Yeah, I think there's a couple things. I recently guest lectured at the University of Virginia and uh, it was great to be in a room of just so many energetic 
20 year olds about to start their career. And we talked a lot about the importance of building your network. And so, you know, spending your 20s in a town or in a space where you can meet lots of different people who are different than you, both professionally and personally. I look back at my network now and it's given me so much freedom. Because I, especially as an entrepreneur, like I'm never worried about not having a job. And I think once you're kind of released from that pressure of where am I going to work? How am I going to get a job? Then it opens up so many doors and allows you to really dream. And I talk about my network as kind of my safety net for that, which allows me to do that. And so I, I spent my 20s doing that in New York City. So that would be one, build your network. And I think two, get support and invest in yourself sooner than you think. You know, I for a long time didn't, you know, I, I just was like, oh, I'm not gonna spend a money money on a coach or on this type of support or that type of support. And and again, just the amount of I've been able to go so much faster after being surrounded by a community of people, both professionals, you know, and personal friends and my kind of personal board of directors that that are in your life. So don't feel like I 22 year old Jody would have felt like she needed to do it on her own. And I would yeah. say 30, 38 year old Jody absolutely doesn't want to do it on her own. Now I'm like, where's my support? Where's my team? Let's, let's do this all together. There's a huge lesson in that. And I have been kind of living that a lot lately too, is just the mat like, you can't be the expert in everything. It's just not possible. And to want to do it all your own. I mean, I've, I feel like I sort of at times have prided myself on being self-sufficient. And now I'm finding so much more strength and like inner and outer strength from leaning on the network and, pe- and people that like, and also like the concept of giving, like as good as it mm-hmm. feels to give something to somebody, like when you don't allow somebody to give that back to you, how you're actually kind of like taking that pleasure away from somebody, the pleasure of giving. And yeah, no, I think exactly. I think encouraging, and that's what I encourage the the teams at UVA to do is just reach, reach out to someone. If you're interested in their story or their company, they, people like to share and giving people an opportunity to, to, to talk about themselves, to share their lessons, to share what they've learned is a gift to them. And I think it's that shift in that context of, oh, I'm bothering them or, oh, I they don't have time for me or I don't, you know, they're not going to write me back. It's just, Hey, I'm giving them an opportunity to tell their story to me. And that's been an important context shift for me in the, in a fundraising context, you know, being a female founder, raising venture capital or about to raise venture capital for our, for our company, really just talking to investors from a context of I'm giving you an opportunity to invest in us as opposed to, Oh my gosh, please give me money. No, I think right. those are two very different ways of approaching the... Can you give me a pep um, talk on that? Because I struggle. I, honestly, I genuinely struggle because I think in my head, I'm always like, oh, I'm asking for money. And I and I just am inherently uncomfortable with that. Like I'm like, that's a weakness. But I think that you're hitting on something that, I don't know, can you expand? <laughs> it's really about going into it from a place of power empowerment and a place of power. And then also that really thick skin of not taking things personally. And that's really hard to do. And it's really hard to train yourself to do that. But it is, again, very freeing and a very powerful place to come from when you, once you conquer that. Looking at it from an opportunity, you know, you're giving someone an opportunity to invest in your company and to build something amazing with you versus you have to have this person in order to keep going. It's essentially knowing where your value comes from and where the value sits. The value sits as an entrepreneur with you. The value doesn't sit with the investor. 
you know, they're bringing cash to the table and hopefully they're also bringing, you know, other help and other, other connections and other value, but really what they're bringing to the table is cash. The actual value creation in the business that sits with you and your team. And so yeah. remembering that has been really helpful. There's a, so there's even just like kind of even stepping out. And I'm sure that with your experience, because you have lived in that world and VC is probably like that whole funding and going after funding and offering funding is somewhat familiar to a degree. I feel like there's a mindset shift that probably is really helpful for a lot of women to go into like, just like the, what you just said a minute ago that you're like, there's money out there, like, and it is free flowing, but to actually believe that you're like, Oh, maybe it is for other people, but why wouldn't it be for me? Like, and there's a mind shift in there. Like, some people call it an abundance, like way, way of thinking in abundance versus like thinking in terms of like things that are lacking. And it's sort of where you're coming from. And I think that you're hitting on it. But I do think women, and I will include myself in that, that like have struggled with the idea that like, oh, there's more than enough out there. And it's, there's no reason that it shouldn't be like slotted for you or me. Right. Yeah, I think there's a huge. I'm, there's absolutely a mindset shift that I would love more women, in particular, to to work through. And it is a it is a, a thing to work through. And I have found an amazing executive coach who's helped me work through that. And so back to my point about get the support that you need. There's lots of people out there who the answers are in you. The answers are in you, and that shift is inside of you. Sometimes it just takes someone else to help you pull that out and actually have it drop. What I call it drop into your heart. Mm-hmm. And it is that shift from scarcity to abundance. And yeah. so there's a mindset of, oh, there's not enough. There's not enough for me. There's not enough opportunity to, there is enough opportunity. There is enough. There is going to be enough. And believing that in the future, there's going to be enough. And I still have moments of that all the time. I, you know, I've invested in spent my own kind of personal dollars on a number of things where maybe from a scarcity mindset, you know, the old version of Jody would be like, oh, you can't afford that. You can't do that. Like you shouldn't invest that money right now to do, you know, X, Y, Z things to, you know what, I'm going to invest it and and I'm going to just trust that it's going to come back and I'm going to trust it is going to generate more abundance. And to our, you know, our opening part of our conversation, once you put that idea of abundance out there into the world, it's been mind blowing to me how many things have come back my way that I never would have expected and never would have dreamt could happen. Yeah. I So my sister has been, she's also an entrepreneur in another industry. But one question that she has been asking herself and her of her team is what are my own limiting beliefs? What are the beliefs that I have that might be limiting me or us in our growth? And then identifying those, like how can I shift those too? And it's pretty powerful stuff. It's a huge piece of work. And I, I think I do really believe as an entrepreneur, we are moving away from the, you know, we're moving away from the industrial age into the age of consciousness. And I am a big believer in conscious business and conscious capitalism and that there's a personal awareness that we all have to have about ourselves in order to be to be good leaders, to be good mothers, to be good partners, to be good executives. And so one of the the kind of justifications, I guess, I had in my head of investing in someone like an executive coach was I can't lead an organization or a team until I can lead myself, until I, you know, I can't, until I know myself and I know those self-limiting beliefs and I know what's holding me back. I really can't, I can't motivate and I can't 
you know, create a vision for an organization and then, and then really bring people kind of with us to, to make that happen. I love all of that. That is super powerful stuff, Jody. So if people want to follow you, work with you, find out more about any of the organizations that you are supporting and working with, like where would you direct them? Yeah, on LinkedIn, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. You can find me at Jody Newhauser there, and then also on Instagram at Jody Newhauser. And then our our business there is it's myovatera.com is our our website. And um, right now, we we make the industry leading supplements for uh, for people looking to to have a baby to to try to conceive. So. Wonderful. I will include all of that in the show notes. So thank you so much. Perfect. Yeah, this has been a this has been a real treat. I really appreciate this time that we've had together. So thank you. Thanks, Joy. Really appreciate it, and looking forward to to continuing to learn from you and your the rest of the amazing women that you have on your show every every day. Thanks. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about us or this guest by going to our website or visiting us on any of the socials with the handle Hit Like a Girl Pod. Thanks again. See you soon. Hit Like a Girl podcast is a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. One thing I love about working with them is that they're mission-driven, which means that they're dedicated to featuring authoritative shows, hosts, and guests who take on the tough topics in healthcare with empathy, expertise, and a commitment to excellence. If you're looking for bingeable content related to the healthcare industry, they've got more than 8,000 episodes on demand waiting for you. From professional development, the patient voice, digital health, innovation and entrepreneurship, and of course, health IT, they've got you covered. So this is your official invitation to check them out at healthpodcastnetwork.com.